Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. Today, our guest is Steve Mastriani, uh, who writes about altering, uh, altering your life through starting a uh, business through your hobby. So it's called his book is called Hobby Boss. You see it right behind him. And I'm very excited to have Steve on today. He wrote a fantastic book that I really greatly enjoyed. Steve, um, you write about your first entrepreneurial endeavor, which is teaching guitars and bringing it online. How did you do that? Well, first of all, Mark, thanks for having me here. And I'm really excited to be here. The, um, my first entrepreneurial venture, I mean, was um, that was my first online uh, venture. But I mean, technically, everything that I've done uh, with music has been entrepreneurial, um, even from from my days in uh being a major label recording uh, or a major label recording artist being in bands um it was always entrepreneurial um and so you know the the quick story by the way is that um i've you know toured the world uh as a musician as a guitar player um open open for big bands like kiss um hinder motley Crue, finger 11 like a bunch of a bunch of bands and um and then that was in my twenties. I was, I was doing all that. And then what I did, um, I, I basically, I put that on pause. My dad, he, um, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer back in 2013. And so that was a massive, massive overhaul to the the whole plan. And it's like, okay, well, but this guy was my biggest fan for, for years. He's basically the reason why I started playing music in the first place. Like he, he bought me a drum kit and then that led to guitar and led to other instruments. And anyway, so I, I became his primary caregiver. It's while I was, taking care of them and not touring every single day in a different city. I was waking up in like, you know, where I grew up, my, my hometown. And um, not only was I like, I needed something to keep me busy because also taking care of him, like I needed something to keep me busy and stay creative, but also I had to pay the bills. So my first on, entrepreneurial venture that was online was taking everything that I've learned as well as, you know, I've, I've also uh, coached guitar players over the years. I wanted to take all of that stuff and um, put that into an online uh, an online business. That was just the easiest the easiest transition. And what I did there, and it's what I recommend that people do, is look at something that you're already doing, and you can you can teach someone else who's earlier on, on in their journey. And the reason for that is because you're you're learning two things. Like if you're if you're starting a brand new thing, you're learning two things. You're learning the skill itself, and you're also learning how to do business with that skill. And so what I did, I wanted to limit that risk by just take something I already know, which was guitar, and all I had to learn was business. So um, it came from a necessity of I needed an outlet because I needed to. It was stressful taking care of my dad. Um, uh, as much as I appreciated the time that I had with him. Uh, I also had to stay creative so I could maintain my sanity and also um, bring in some income. So that was that was sort of like that was the the reason for why I uh, why I started Rockstar Mind in the first place. Um, it was like in my twenties I was the rock star, and my thirties um, and beyond. It's like I'm I'm helping people become rock stars is, is and, and when I'm saying rock star, I'm not necessarily meaning that they're going to get up on stage and or they're going to tour. Some people do for sure. But also I want people to feel like a rock star. And so it was more about like passing the torch. So you started your professional career as a musician. And I'm guessing from seeing all the instruments there that you're still uh, practicing musician. Tell the audience a little bit about your background and uh, how you ended up um, being signed by the label, um, by Gene Simmons label, KISS. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I always thought, okay, so I've always thought in a very strange way um, where I, I've like reverse engineered things, even before I learned about all the principles that like I know now, like there's some things that I kind of stumbled upon. And so it was just, it was simple. Like, so I was a drummer. Um, 
you know, my parents split up when I was like 11 years old and I just, I felt the need to smash some, like some drums, you know? And so like, I was really into Nirvana at that time and some heavier music and I wanted to, to play drums. So my dad bought me a drum kit and um, I started playing in some bands and from, from an early age, I just like, I knew I wanted to tour the world, but you know, like I wanted to travel the world. Okay. And, um, but then I reverse engineered it where it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to travel the world, then it would probably be easier if I, traveled with a bunch of different people like rather than just me if i just you know met up with some cool people who are like me maybe i could travel with them and then it's like okay well cool maybe i'll start a band and that would be cool like i can tour the world and i'll start a band and then but i can't really like if i have a band i want to write the songs but i can't really write songs by playing drums so why don't i pick up a music uh, an instrument that's going to uh, allow me to write songs and so one of my buddies had a guitar and so i said can i borrow that guitar i taught myself how to play a few things and then basically I was, uh, the rest is history where I just, I was mainly a guitar player and I went from band to band and, you know, networking is really important. I mean, it's, yes, it's what, you know, but more importantly, like who, who's going to, it's who, you know, that's going to help to leapfrog you to different opportunities. So, you know, you meet this person and, but this person knows this person. And so you meet as many cool people as possible. And I met my songwriting partner, uh, Sean, and I met him early on and, we just basically like we hit it off right away. It's really important to uh, to hold on to those people who you have really great chemistry with. You don't know if you're necessarily going to work on something with them now or in the future. But I met Sean and he had some he had a band going at the time called Crowned King. And um, and I joined his band. Um, I left the band I was in and I joined his band and we blew up that band. I, it's multiple times in my life where I've been like I came into a situation where there was another guy who I was kind of replacing. And so anyway, me and Sean, we hit it off. We got this band. We we blow up that band. We create a new band in Toronto called The Envy. And because of all the experience we had in the past, we leveraged that experience and all the network connections to then get to... Uh, you know, Universal Records, which was Universal Music was basically the, the big record label over here. They heard our stuff really early on. And at the time, it just so happens that Gene Simmons wanted to come up to Canada because his wife, Shannon Tweed, is Canadian. He wanted to come up to Canada and sign a band because he really believes in the talent up here. And so somehow our, our music got onto his desk and, he, and we get a phone call. We're on the East Coast of Canada touring and we get a call saying, hey, Gene Simmons wants to come see you guys play live. But it's just like so random. You know, we're eating, we're eating lunch. It's just so random. And so, so we ended cool, up coming man. back. Yeah, so yeah, super cool. And then we end up coming to uh, back to Toronto to play um, a sold out show that which was like a showcase for Gene. He comes waltzing in, you know, he's got his arm around, you know, three women on each side, pretty much. And he's got, you know, his crocodile boots and all that. And anyway, whatever you would think he was walking in with um, besides, you know, he wasn't wearing kiss makeup, but anyway, um, he waltzes in and we play the show. He, uh, we meet with him across the street. Uh, we have, uh, there was an Indian restaurant right across the street. We go in um, to, to have some dinner with him. We talk some business and say like, Hey, you know, like it was, it, it's, it wasn't like, cool. Do you want to sign a record deal? And then we sign like there, like in the movies, it was basically, okay, cool. You know, let, let's continue this conversation and see where things go. And Gene is a really big fan of music. Like, you know, kiss, whatever, like love him or hate him. I'm not even really a kiss fan. Um, we toured with them for years, but I'm not really a kiss fan. Um, but I'm a fan of Gene Simmons and his entrepreneurial uh, success. And so Basically, we said, like, let's start this relationship here and just start talking about songs. And we went back and forth uh, through email, just talking about songs. And after maybe two or three songs that we sent them, it's like, cool, let's do this something more formal here. Let's sign a deal. And uh, and then basically from there, after we signed, it took a little while to negotiate. But then after that, we toured with Kiss all over North America, 34 shows um, in uh, Canada, the States and Mexico. And then that led to another opportunity and another opportunity, and another opportunity. But it really, I mean, there were a lot of lessons in there. Like from, from that whole experience, I learned about reverse engineering success, um, starting with the end in mind and then reverse engineering. I learned about the power of network. Um, like they say, like your network is your net worth or your net worth is your network, um, however you want to say it. And so who is very important. It's not how can I do this? How can I get this done? It's who can help me get this done. And then also another really important principle is because KISS and the KISS army, like I've never met any fans like KISS fans. Uh, again, like I said, I never grew up as a KISS fan. Like I'd like a song here or there, but being on tour, seeing it every single night all across, you know, North America, people just loving that band and being super loyal and also how much merch they were clearing. Every, they were like, they were making like a million dollars a night in merch. 
uh, merch sales alone. So, and, and the production was huge. All that stuff really showed me about what it takes to build an army of fans, you know, a legion of fans who are going to hang on every word and buy your merch and buy your stuff. It was incredible. And, and so, you know, like I was saying earlier on, when my dad got sick, um, I mean, it sucked, of course, for so many reasons. Um, however, putting my career on pause at that point wasn't like, oh, I regret all this stuff. And it's like, I got to take care of my dad and I got to make the best out of this situation here. And um, and so I've already achieved a lot on the music side that I feel like, OK, this is now the next chapter. And that allowed for me to focus on other things um, to help my father, as well as other people who um, who I could inspire, lead and inspire. So let's talk about the book now. Why, why did you write this book? And I have, again, it was a really well done book. And anybody's looking to turn their hobby, as you mentioned, in a hobby boss, into uh, something that makes them money, whether it's six figures or something less, um, even if it's just travel money, it's uh, well done. So what made you write this book? Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, I mean, and they say that 500 bucks, like an extra 500 bucks a month is life changing for a lot of people. And so, you know, you make it what you want it to be, if it's extra 500 bucks, or if it's a full time income. Um, what why I wrote the book was because that's really when I started Rockstar Mind. Um, and I started on the guitar side. I knew in the back of my head that I eventually wanted to help people start their own businesses. Um, but in order for me to have credibility to do that, I got to start my own business. Um, and so Rockstar Mind was always like the guinea pig. It would be the thing that I would always do experiments with and use that to learn how to do business. And I knew one day I would write a book on how to run a business. Um, originally, it was like it was called like Rockstar Exec or something. I always had this dream of like how I would teach this. But um, it wasn't until 2019. Um, where I just, I felt like, okay, now's the time. Like I finally cracked six figures and I'm like, okay, now's the time where it's not like just a full-time income where I'm kind of like struggling every single month. Now I've got some systems in place and I've kind of get it. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, this is, uh, this is ready to go. And so I started outlining it and I knew I was going to write it in 2020. Then COVID hit and I'm like, oh man, I might actually push everything else aside and I need to write this book as soon as possible because I know I already knew as soon as I started seeing like the news and different things that were happening um, where people were, uh, all these countries were affected, I could do the math. I knew that what was like, what was going to happen, that things were going to start to get super chaotic. And if the world was going to start to get locked down, then people were going to lose their jobs. And if people were going to lose their jobs, they would lose their uh, income stream that is dependable, that they need to start doing things on their own. And it showed that, that we can't just have one income stream. Like it's, it's, that's a liability. We need to make sure that we monetize as many things as possible. At least in my opinion, that we monetize as many things as possible. And this is one of them. It's like, instead of, let's just say if you lost your job and you have to um, find something like, okay, well, am I going to get trained now? Am I going to get trained in something brand new? And, or do I just look at what I can already do and start and start a business out of that? And so that's where hobby boss came from is like, don't worry about um, getting trained or getting certified by all these different things that, that are out there. Maybe just take a look at some of the things that you're already able to do. And um, maybe your, your hobby is something that is very popular. Most likely it is. And there's probably a group of people who would be willing to, to uh, pay you so that you can shortcut their process you know, because that's, that's really what a coach does is they shortcut someone's process. You invest in coaching so that you can help as close to a guarantee of the result as possible. I could either spend a bunch of time, invest a bunch of time into this, which I'll never get back, or I can invest some money with a coach and then I'll be able to shortcut that process and be a lot happier in the process. So it's about looking at what you already have and turning that into a business. We saw a lot of people during COVID doing that, teach, showing people how to, like you are teaching guitar, dance, yoga. Uh, my girlfriend who's listening to the show, who was a musician and an a, a r um, she was having her, um, yeah, her instructor, her workout instructor do it all online for, mm -hmm. you know, for a year and a half. So, for sure. and he was fortunate. He was able to pick up a lot of clients and get paid well uh, to be able to go and do that. So uh, how important is it to have a substantive purpose like you did when starting a venture? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to have a purpose. Um, you have to, it can't just be about like, I need to make some extra cash. Um, there's gotta be some more to it because when you make the cash, um, 
you're not really going to feel that fulfillment. That's going to keep you in the game. Like on, there's going to be hard days. There's going to be days where no sales come in. Um, some days where you question whether or not you're, you're, you know, you're even qualified to, to help people. There's so many things, even after you get a bunch of messages from people saying, Oh my God, this is so great. Um, but on those hard days, uh, you need to have some purpose that is going to uh, drive you forward. And like, it could be as simple as like, I have three kids, uh, three young kids, uh, three and under. And, and so it could be as simple as that, that, you know, this is my purpose. I'm the breadwinner. I've got to put food in their, in their mouths, even though they throw it all over the floor and, you know, waste all that. And I got to come back here and, and get them some more, but um, it's, it's, it could be as simple as that, or it could be really important that, for example, um, like there was an example in, in the book that I wrote that like, for example, let's just say maybe you were down on your luck early in life and maybe you were homeless and, um, but then you got your stuff together and you want to help other people. Um, you want to help clothes. Like you, maybe you teach them how to make clothes. And so you have an initiative where part of that is you help people to, uh, to clothe the homeless through the work that you do together. So you teach people how to, how to make clothes, but you donate um, some of those clothes from uh, from the work that you do to the homeless because this very is a very important cause to you. Like for example, I have a fundraising initiative called Void Cancer because uh, you know I lost my father to cancer. I've lost many family members to cancer, and it's a very very important part of my life that um, you know I help people um, who have been diagnosed or who are also caregivers like I was, and um, and that they have an outlet like guitar to to do their thing. Like if I didn't have these pieces to, of the puzzle. It doesn't matter how much money I make. I'm not going to feel like I'm making an impact. I'm not going to feel like I'm doing something important. It's not going to fuel me. And what motivation does is it pushes you forward. It helps you to take action. You know, motivation, move, moving, moving, right? It's like, that's what it's all about. So if you don't have that purpose, then it's hard for the vehicle to move forward. Do you recommend starting full-time or part-time that could lead to a full-time opportunity? So I think no matter what the the uh, purpose or what the, uh, sort of end goal is going to be. If it's, if, if you, even if you want to be full-time with it, regardless, it's going to be something that, um, like you have to start from the beginning anyway. And so very often, um, like we'll see things online. Um, you know, if you're following guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like super talented and, and super motivating, but it's all about like hustle and grind and just like go all like all in all the time. And, and, sometimes you just have to like, you don't want to overwhelm yourself period. So sometimes you just have to get into it and like, yeah, you're there, you're, you're committed for sure, but you have to just take those, those small steps to get things rolling. And then you get your first sale and then your second sale, and then you build from there. And based on those results, then you start building on that. I think um, for a lot of people, it could be very overwhelming. The idea of starting their own business is exciting, but it's also very overwhelming. And so I think going in um, at first, even with a part-time mentality in the sense of, um, you know, like I'm going to go, I'm going to do the, the necessary steps that I'm not going to, this isn't going to like take over my life completely. Cause that's just too overwhelming. I think you guys got to go into it, um, with the necessary steps. And luckily, you know, like if you have, like, I wrote the book, I wrote the book for myself when I was, um, when I was like starting out in, in 2014, I wrote the book for me, like that person who's in that place. And I, the book I wish I had, I wrote that. There are also other coaches. There are different people who can help you along in your journey. And, um, and so, you know, you can, you can, um, get them on board or you can like, you know, they'll, and they'll tell you the same thing of like going step by step by step, but you can make those decisions kind of as you go. The best way to learn is to just start, get started and start doing it and learn through that experience. So I think that um, you can want full-time for sure, but I think starting it as just something that you're doing and getting into it, maybe starts growing after two months or maybe after like six months or a year, but start with that mentality and then just expand from there. I think you know, every venture I've done, I've learned everything in the first year, made all the mistakes. And I think after one year, you really have it down pat Yeah, and you're able to expand on it. And the business will, if it's part-time and it really sticks taking off, there was a, um, a gentleman that I interviewed when I was a reporter and he started building dollhouse furniture and people started noticing his kids' dollhouse furniture. So they started asking him and he was an engineer at DuPont. Before he knew it, within five years, he had a million and a half dollar business making doll furniture. And yeah. that was back in the 1980s when that was a lot of money uh, sure. to be able to go and do. So I, I think almost anything, there was a guy who made planes on the side. And before he knew it, he had 10 people working for him, helping him make uh, these uh, hobby planes. How yeah. important is developing a plan, you know, as opposed to flying by the seat of your pants? 
<laughs> well, it's funny because you're, you're talking to a musician who like I fly by the seat of my pants a lot. And um, and, and it's like improv. Improvisation is very big in music. And and I think improvisation is it makes things fun. And you always have to leave some room for that. Like, um, you know, preparation is definitely important, but you don't want to get into analysis paralysis. You plan a little bit. You plan enough where it's like you're not completely reckless. Like and also planning is kind of like so in my book. Um, you know, and you read any book that is that is on a step by step of how to do stuff. Um, that's going to be part of the planning process. It's like, okay, let me learn kind of what to do here. But then you learn a little bit, and then really a lot of what you learn is going to come from doing it, like out in the field and doing it. So having a plan, uh, I, I call it like a hobby business plan, um, where you go through the different chapters and like the things that you do will help you. It'll give you enough so that you know. Um, who you're talking to and what they want and all those different considerations that would make you um, have the best chance of success. But you don't want to go crazy with that. And like, I'm, you know, for example, like, Hey Mike, so um, like Mike tells you that he wants to start a business like sweet. And then you see him like a few weeks later, cool, Mike, how's the business going? Cool. Yeah. I'm still, you know, working on that plan. And then you talk to him like three months later, it's like, Hey, how's that business going? It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm almost ready to go. I'm like, just planning it. It's like, Mike should have been doing business already mike should have been already making his first sale and working with a client because that's going to teach him a whole bunch that you can't plan there's so many things that are not going to be planned that you just can't plan you know um i didn't plan like actually i didn't know that on on this call which is so cool i love it it was a very nice surprise but um most of the interviews are like one to uh, one like two people and then i start seeing people people coming on on the zoom call and i'm like this is awesome this is great it's not part of the plan i didn't know that wasn't part of my plan like i know this is part of your plan but it wasn't part of my plan and i love that and i like love rolling with that i love um you know it's uh, as a performer in me i love being being around a lot of people um and but it's not part of the plan i didn't know that and those things are going to happen every single day there's going to be things that are outside of your plan and um and you make the best out of it but you do the things just the first little bit that takes it out of the reckless category of this isn't completely reckless. This is just, I'm going to move, move. Like it's like responsible uh, recklessness. It's just like, I'm going to do a little bit of planning enough so that I could just get out there and start getting, um, getting the data that I need to make the next decision. So that that's as far as I would plan. I, I like planning only. I like writing everything out just so I can see it and then figure out where the mistakes I'm making. And then I like to go forward, but you're right. A lot of people, will work on that plan to death because I think they're afraid of actually launching the business. It is. Yeah. It's and, either and fear, fear of failure. failure. Yeah, yeah. Fear of failure or fear of success. It's either one. There's like some people are scared of success. Um, and I've dealt with that fear quite a bit. And it's like, what's going to happen? Are people going to be react differently to me? Or like, am I going to be able to maintain that success? There's like, there's so many fears there, but we don't want to get in our head. We can't do business up here. We got to do business externally. And, um, and that's where like, that's, that's why you want to get started with that as soon as possible. One of the things you read about in the book was uh, you got into online marketing and there's a lot of people doing online marketing. Uh, how did you differentiate yourself? Well, I mean, part of part of the whole thing, like, I mean, if you look at me with with the tattoos and that I'm where I'm coming from, like even my story, um, there's I highlighted the best parts of that. Not that necessarily you have to um, ha like know a celebrity or um, have a major label record deal or or anything like that, but you just make the best. I call it like your credibility and achievements. Like it could be that you um, you create, let's just say you knit sweaters maybe you've knit a thousand sweaters and like you've clothed your whole family with everything that you've knit, like that's credibility, you know? And, and so um, you come into the game with, with something like you bring everything that you got and, uh, and then you'll learn things along the way and then you'll create, uh, achieve new things along the way. Um, but like for me specifically getting into the online marketing, I mean, it's just, it's, like online marketing is a pretty big topic, like getting out there and whether it's recording videos and attracting people and getting them on my email list or you know, I'm getting them to buy uh, a course or a book or something that I created. Um, a lot of it really, Mark, it just has to do with like, it doesn't have anything to do with me, really. I'm just kind of like, maybe you're scrolling on Facebook and you see someone that looks like me and I might um, like capture attention, maybe. Um, but also it's like, I'm not important. It's about my customer and what that person needs. And maybe they want to feel like a rock star. So I start talking about the things that make them feel like a rock star, whether it's inspiring them with a story that I have about when I wasn't feeling like one and then how like I, I felt like one, or maybe they're a fan of Kiss or one of the other bands that I've toured with. And then we can talk, like I could highlight that kind of thing. 
you know, um, it's very important to know who your customer is. And, um, and you get to decide that very often, or just like, this is the person who I want to work with. Um, but that you decide who they are, or you, you, I'm sorry, you know who they are. And then you also know what they, what outcome they want. And that's mostly what you're talking about. So if anything, the kiss stuff and the tattoos and the music history and everything isn't as much the differentiator for me as maybe my empathy. I really, really care about other people's success. And I think that me showing that to other people, that might be the differentiator because everybody's showing like me, 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 me here. Look at what I did. Look what I did. And like, look what I've got. Whereas what I often do is I'll like really help. Like I'll, I'll, um, get excited about something that they're working on and or ask them a question take interest in something that they're doing and people will be like whoa like no one's ever asked me that before or like they're amazed that someone even takes an interest in in their lives you know what i mean and so that's a big empathy is a big differentiator and um i don't know where that came from i guess maybe i have my parents to thank for that um but that's that i think that's a big differentiator in a in a cold digital world having warmth like that is very very big you write about the four profit pillars. Uh, what are they? And and list a lot of sub questions in it in the book. Uh, maybe go over what's most important to start. Like just a few of them. What is? What should they focus? Yeah, for on? sure. Well, well, quickly. The the four pillars of profit are basically profile, which takes care of you and um, takes care of your market. Like basically, it's like that's like the the mindset part and taking care of um, like your role in your business and um, what market that you're going to be serving and what your motivation is for. Like that takes care of you as the entrepreneur. The profile part. It's very important to to know where you're coming from and where you're going. Um, then there's also the produce, which is about your solution that you're creating which is also about defining who your customer is and what they want, what outcome they want, and also why they want it. Um, and then there's the uh, promote, which is like what we were just talking about marketing, which is about getting the stuff out there and letting people know about something that you've created, the solution that you created for them to solve their problem. And then once they buy, then we have propel, which is the final pillar, which is about now that they've bought, now let's propel them to that uh, ideal outcome that they've created. So if I were to whittle it down to like, what are the most important things in all of that? It's like I said before, knowing who you're serving, knowing what outcome that they want, and then um, laying out that outcome or sort of starting from that outcome. And like I was saying earlier, reverse engineer, like how from where they are right now, how they're going to get to that ideal outcome. And you might not have all the answers at first. You might not even be the one who helps them with every single step of that, but you might get them started. And then you pass them off to an affiliate maybe, and then maybe you make a commission or you just are so happy that your customer is going out and, um, and being successful. But it's really all about knowing who you're, uh, you're um, serving, what they want, like what result, what the ideal outcome they want, and then mapping out that process so that you can help them get from point A to B because they're here on A, I call it hobby hell. And you want to help get them to their ideal outcome, which I call hobby heaven. So you're the one, the coach who's going to help them to get to that. So if you just map those things out, you're good to go. You know, hobby boss goes in more depth because it's not just like a one-time read. It's like a, basically like a masterclass of how to do business. So if you have a problem in your business, you can go to a specific chapter and, and solve that. Um, but those are, that's whittling it down to like, those are the key points right there. How did music influence your entrepreneurial interest? And what did you learn as a musician that you've used in business? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think it spills over a lot because like creating, like um, writing songs, um, it's the same as like writing a sales letter or writing something that if you read my emails, the, it's there's like a musicality to it in a sense, like the, the, the rhythm of it and how it flows, um, easy to digest. Um, the collaboration with other people, just like in a band, you know, performing, uh, like technically like right now is almost like a performance, you know, putting myself out there. Um, it's like a performance. And so these principles oh, also a huge one This is big. This is more so like for people who they want to get signed to a record deal. Cause they think that like the record label is going to take care of everything in hindsight. It's like, oh man, I wish that we did more on our own first and started our own buzz. And then the record label maybe could come in. They're kind of like a bank. They just like have some cash that they help to push things along. 
a really, really big thing from being a musician is that nobody is going to care about your stuff as much as you do. And so you have to um, do the majority of work, go and get the fans and give the fans what they want. Same thing. It's like, know who your fans are, know, know what they want and, um, and give that to them, you know, and, and as a musician, that's, that's one of the key principles. So all that stuff carried over into, into this year. Cause I was just, I was still an entrepreneur as a musician. I was just doing, having a kind of like a different product, my songs and my performances. That was the, the product at that point. Yeah. I noticed I have a friend who signed his on the second right uh, contract recording contracts and lead singer for the scores. I mentioned to you, yeah. And I noticed that after every show, he's got to spend a lot of time out there shaking yeah. hands, taking pictures, because they're an up-and-coming group. They're not the it's, Rolling it's everything. Stones. It's everything. And merchandise sales are really important in, in your particular space. Yeah. Yeah. Not like record sales are as important. Uh, yeah. because that's not what and, and that's fine is, because those are just promotion like the songs are just promotion like that's why it, it's, artists never really made that much money from 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 songs like i mean okay uh, never is not the right word um the money has always been in the touring and the, the merch like the big money has been from touring and merch um and so the record label they they um they own the the record they own the the songs and so it's fine if the songs get out there they'll get out there anyway so get out there promote the band um get the stuff out there but yeah it's all about shaking hands kissing babies all that stuff there to get uh to get things going uh one of the questions from the audience is have you raised money from investors and how easy or difficult is it to raise money for a hobby business uh, so I actually haven't, I haven't needed to, because um, one of the things I like trying to keep things as simple as possible. Like, um, you know, I know that it's possible to, uh, to raise money. I've had people uh, offer and they want to get in, like, you know, I don't really want to give up equity in my business because I want to make sure, and this is just my personality type that I want to be able to come up with a cool idea and have that out in the world by one o'clock. You know, I wake up with a cool idea and by 1 p.m. that idea is out there. And um, and I want to make sure that the money that comes in, that I'm taking care of it. And um, sure, it might be cool having an investor. If, if, if the right deal and the right person came along, maybe that might be something that, uh, that I would consider. But it doesn't matter if it's a ho so a hobby business. So it's very interesting. Like the, there's a bit of a double entendre with with the word uh, with the like the the phrase hobby business. So hobby business could be something that you just have on the side. Like it would just be like you know a hobby. Like you have a business that's a that's sort of um it's it's your hobby. Like you do so, a little something. Um, but also hobby business could be a business that is it's a hobby based business and it's a business that is related to your hobby. One of my friends, um, Charlie Wallace, uh, out in uh, New Zealand, he has a, a guitar company called Guitar Mastery Method, which is a massive company and like that company is bringing in seven over seven like i can't i don't know if they're maybe eight figures now but like that's a, a substantial amount of money for for teaching people how to play guitar now i do the same thing and i'm not an eight figure business but my path my thing that i do is different than what he does even though we both um, help people play guitar i also do other things too there's so many different things based on what where i'm headed and where i'm going and so um you know it just shows there's a range of of people and you have to be really um, you have to know what you want really. And then you also have to, at that point, when you, when you achieve something like there's going to be a fork in the road, do I go this way or do I go this way? And, um, and Charlie, he built a huge business and he, but Charlie really just wants to go out and, and tour and travel the world and, uh, and be in a band kind of like the things that I was doing before um, with, with like touring with kiss and all the, that stuff there. And so um, I think that he's also had investors approach them and maybe that might make sense for a bigger company like that. But um, a hobby business is just like any other business. He runs the business just the same way. I run the business, my business, um, the same way as any business really. And so whether it's a hobby business or not, um, investors can come in. I wouldn't recommend it at first. I mean, the, with the principles, like, especially with what I teach with like coaching, like that you're getting into an info product space where you're uh, coaching people and you're helping them to achieve a result in their own hobby. You can make a substantial amount of money, um, just doing things, because you're technically selling air, like I'm giving advice to someone, there's no overhead in the sense of you don't have uh, merchandise, or sorry, you don't have like inventory that you have to keep very often, right? You could have merch and stuff like that. But if you're just hopping on a zoom call with someone and giving them some advice, then the profit margins are crazy good. And so you don't really, I don't think you really need an investor at that point. Um, I don't know if one of the questions is about how to get started for free, but I mean, technically you pop a, a post out on Facebook saying that 
you, you know, you're, you're looking for some people to help you with a new program that you're, you're getting started. And if you want to hop on zoom for, for 60 minutes, you know, there's no charge. Um, maybe just give me a review after afterwards. And then you'll have some people who respond back. And then you'll obviously say there's more to the post than that. Like you'll say what, what you'll help them achieve. Um, but you hop on zoom, which is free. You don't have to pay for zoom. You hop on zoom, you get on a call with them, you help them achieve a result. And then you basically, you, then you ask them like, did you have a good time? It's like, yeah, totally. It's like, sweet. You want to do it again? Totally. And then, then they could pay you for future sessions because you've already given them a result. You've already like, they, they've, you, you feel each other out and you know that you want to work with each other. And then you, um, and then you could base a, an actual like transaction on that. And, but that's all free. And so, so far, let's just say they pay you 60 bucks. That's 60 bucks. That is all yours. You don't have to pay anyone anything like zoom. Zoom is free. Um, and so you can get started for very, very, very like, I mean, close to free, if, if, if not free, obviously there's a time investment, but it's, I think it's great. I don't think you need an investor is the short answer. So, yeah, I, by the way, investors typically are not interested in lifestyle businesses because they don't throw off enough. An investor usually is looking to, because uh, I run the Angel Venture Fair, as many of the folks know here, are looking for a lottery ticket sure. wins. So if they can't get that, but I have seen where a guy started a magazine, it was a hobby of his, he got three investors and he sold, uh, he got a contract with the convention center and all three of his investors made their money back in the first year. For sure. Now their money so there's, over the course there's of There's definitely going to be situations where maybe it might, might work like, because maybe you might know someone or they know someone. And, um, but the, the key differentiator is it doesn't matter if the business is based on a hobby. Like, so you said lifestyle business. So lifestyle business is different, right? Like a lifestyle business could be in any type of, um, type of like, that's just, that's just, the, the kind of business where, yeah, you want to pay your bills and have like, have a nest egg. Like you want to have, there's, it's different than a big corporation. Right. And, um, but it doesn't matter necessarily what the, the topic of the, the, what the business does doesn't necessarily, as long as it makes money, it's just like what I was talking about with record labels, the record label goes to bands like Guns N' Roses. There were so many record labels that came to Guns N' Roses because they were definitely a hot band at that time. And they came and they're like, we want to sign you. We want to sign you. Why? Because it's a lottery ticket. And so it's that's what they want. That's yeah. what any investor and record labels are just investors, right? So, um, so yeah, so yeah. it's- Venture capitalists. Exactly, in the music that's all industry. it is. That's all it is. Yeah, I, your friend who's made almost 10 figures doing what he's doing and, and he's teaching guitar online, yeah. correct? What did you observe that he's done really well that allowed him to do so well that he could sit on an island and be doing what he's doing? Actually, he is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, exactly. And I don't know for sure. I think might be. I think might be seven figures. Um, He and when he when he first hit seven figures, he did not look well. I was like, "Are you okay, man?" He's like, "No." Like he had. It was. It was like super chaotic, and um, and he had to get a lot of systems. He had to have like the right COO to help to, to clean things up. But what he did that um this is why it's so funny with guitar because like it's what i'm not willing to do and what it's not even my thing like i don't really care that much about doing this specific thing is they're all about just like teaching all facets of the the guitar and they take care of that it's like they've got a great name they've got like all the different facets all these different things that you can do on guitar that's awesome and that's um even when i was a guitar player i didn't even really care about those things. And so when I created a business for me personally, and I'll get back to him in a second, but like for me personally, I'm all about my, my company is called rockstar mind. So we use a guitar for some of the stuff that like some of my clients are guitar players, but, um, but it's more about like learning how to learn, learning how to approach situations and simplify them to your level first and not overwhelm your mind. And like, you know, whether I'm teaching a guitar player, a songwriter, I'm teaching, um, uh, a hobby business owner, it doesn't matter who I'm coaching, but it's about, that mentality and, and success principles. I'm more of like a life coach by way of guitar um, rather than that. I have like a guitar company type thing. And so I teach different things. I teach more like how to learn and how to learn faster. My book's called practice less play more. And so it's, I've got like more like accelerated learning principles. Whereas Charlie, his company is like uh, straight up play guitar. Like this is their blues course. This is what we buy their blues course. This is their metal course, heavy metal course. You buy their metal course. And then it's just volume. They have so many people who want to do that stuff and it's volume. And so he grew a massive company based on that. He has employees. He's got a big thing going and uh, he gets to do what he wants, but it's a big stress. You know, it's like having that, uh, running that show 
is a big stress and a big responsibility. And, you know, for me personally, I have three kids, three and under that's that entrepreneurial venture. That one is chaotic, like crazy. Every single day, there's a new surprise with that one. And so for me, I, I gained my fulfillment from, um, from helping people go from, you know, just where they're starting and whether it's guitar, whether it's music related or whether it's business related. Um, the whole reason I have a guitar business was just so I more have like the, um, credibility or like the, the authenticity that I'm doing this stuff too, but really I'm helping people just achieve their goals and start businesses and make money and, and, you know, make an impact on other people. And so it's, it's two similar businesses. Uh, if we're just taking me and Charlie, me and my buddy, Charlie, it's like two similar businesses, but I made mine what I want and he made his what he wants and they both are successful. Um, a continuation of the question from the audience. Uh, when should a hobby uh, business become your main business? And two, do you recommend going solo with your hobby business or is it better to find a partner? Great question. It really comes down to your personality. I mean, for me, um, I've tried, like you really have to find the right person and they have to do the things that you can't do like they they have to fill in the like they have to complete the picture and um like so for example if you're more the visionary like you come up with the, all these amazing ideas um but it's hard for you to follow through if they've got really strong follow through like they don't like coming up with ideas they're scratching their head but when they have an idea like or when the idea comes in they know what to do with it like more like project managing and just um putting in the hours to actually like see it come to fruition that's a great combination that is um some people call that rocket fuel. Like there's a book, great book called rocket fuel that uh, talks about that, like the visionary and the, and the implementer, but it's, um, I haven't found that person, but at least for, for this coaching uh, business, I haven't found that person. And I, like I said before, I like coming up like with an idea at eight o'clock in the morning and I don't have to ask anybody. I just do it. Like, that's it. I just do it. I carry it out. If it works, it works great. If it doesn't work, that's fine. Tomorrow there's a new idea. I love that. That's a dream for me. And, but whereas on the music side of things, I have a songwriting partner. And like, so I have these, these records over here that did well um, on the radio. And it's like, those were all collaborations. That's not just me. It's collaborations. And so um, for certain things, you're going to find the right person. It's just because I find the right, I found the right person um, to do that. So until you find the right person, I would say like go solo for sure. The other thing of when do you know that it's a hobby uh, or when do you don't make it your main, main gig, right? That was the other question is how do you know to make that um, your, your main gig? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to know, you're going to know because it's making your life better and you're, you're motivated by it. Yeah. It's taken off. It's like the, the amount of money that you're making from it. It might not be the same as if you have a job right now, it might not be the same, but it might be trending towards the same. And so you're willing, you realize like, whoa, if I put more time into this and more energy, this thing is going to really start to take off. And what's very interesting is let's just say hypothetically, you're making $10,000 a month and um, you're making $10,000 a month in your job, um, but you're miserable at your job. And so you start your hobby business and then maybe it starts, you start getting into like, 5,000 or $6,000 maybe. And uh, like per month. And it's like, Oh, wow, this is great. Like I've got all this, I've, I've got all this money coming in from something that I love. So now you have an important decision. It's like, I think I'm going to get rid of the other job, even though I'm making less money. If I put more time into this, what I love, then it'll start to blow up. But even if at the end of that, you're making 7,500 bucks, but you're doing it something that's on your terms and you also can do whatever you want at any time. And you could work like I'm, I'm changing my, my son's diapers and making sales on the side. Like, while I'm like waiting for, for something for a second here, like I'm seeing that like um, a sale popped up or that like I send out a quick message here and then boom, I send out the sales link uh, or the, the cart link just so that they could check it out. And it's like, sweet. And I go back to like changing the diaper there. It's like, I could, I could do business however I want. Now that that's not an ideal way to do business. Like that could get really messy really quickly. But my point is, is you don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to like attend a certain meeting at any time you're in control. And so very often you make that sacrifice where it's like, yeah, cool. Right now I might be making less than I'm actually um, making on my job, but my happiness level went up. What about that investment? What about the, the time investment? that you don't have to go to a job that you hate. And um, now you can actually do less, or maybe you just work less at your job. Maybe you work um, less hours over there, or maybe you work remotely. You know, COVID actually, obviously nobody wanted that to happen, but we also have to make the best of the situation because COVID helped the world to get, uh, to become virtual. So it created a lot of opportunities. And when you have your eyes open for different opportunities, luckily um, your future customers 
are all familiar with Zoom now. They're all familiar with certain concepts. And some companies now have actually, it pushed companies, maybe it fast forwarded the process where we would have probably been five years from now anyway. Like it, it, it just forced us to get there. So none of us wanted that to happen. And it was obviously, and it still, it still sucks. But that being said, um, the opportunity for an info business, a, pro, a, a coaching business, is huge because of where the world is right now. Everybody knows what Zoom is and how to use it. Well, I think you're, you're right. People are reevaluating what they want to do because there's 10 million jobs open. They're not great 10 million jobs, but they're open where before COVID, this wasn't the, it, uh, wasn't the, wasn't reality. the issue. Um, how do you know what marketing tools to use, especially you know in an online business? So how marketing you know tools that? specifically? Yeah, I mean... Um, you really don't like there's there's and you don't need a bunch of fancy tools at first like there's gonna be all these shiny objects like if you do this and then or if you like pay us uh 200 bucks then you're gonna have lifetime access to this or that and ask me how i know um you know i bought a ton of different tools really what you need is you need to have um at the bare minimum you need to have something that's going to um manage your your email list if, if anything if you if you pay for any service it'd be like something that where you can collect um uh, have an email list of people, you can even do it manually, but this makes it a little easier. You have an email list, and you can just start getting people on that email list. Um, you don't—they don't just magically appear, but you can do things where it's like, "Hey, I've got this cool, this cool thing for you that I'll help you with." And you know, if you if you give me your email address, then I'll send you this this thing. And um, and we've probably all signed up for things like that. And then they're on your email list, and then you help them achieve a specific result. It's very very important that you help them get results. Your business is not about you. Your business is about your customer and the result that they want to get. That's why they're coming to you. So when you help them get a result, you did something for someone, okay? And and they're like, whoa, that's amazing. You either, if, they, if you charge for that, great. Like for example, in my books, they're relatively inexpensive. And if that gets someone a result, then they'll be like, oh, sweet. Let's see what else this guy has. Um, or if they bought one of the programs that I, that I had, it's like, great, let's, let's see what else. Let's go further with the journey. It's very much like a relationship. Um, circling back to the marketing tools, you don't really need that much to do that. You can even go out on Facebook and you can, um, you can start a page or start a group and just tell people the benefit of why they want to join the group. Um, go to your friends, start it off and be like, Hey, I'm starting this group. And, um, and here's what we're doing. And, you know, just get them results, put the time and get the results, get the reviews as well. And then that's going to lead to more people. And that's your marketing tool right there. Like that's going to lead to more and more people. You don't need fancy software. You don't need really anything crazy. Um, you can, if you really like bare bones, you have email, like Gmail, you have uh, a Gmail, um, email address. You can, um, get PayPal to collect payments, um, and, or Venmo or anything like that. But do you like, Steve, I, I, I found marketing anything with LinkedIn groups have yielded little. Like if I told, I'm in 50 groups, totals 3.2 million. I thought, man, this is going to be great. And when I marketed this show to 3.2 million people, especially at the very beginning, like of the pandemic where people were just locked in and found that I yielded no results. Did you get any results from doing because? Even John Chambers, when I had him on my show, the founder uh, the, who built Cisco Systems, not the founder, but who built Cisco, and I told him about LinkedIn groups. <laughs> he said, "Forget it. Nobody yeah, ever there even looks at There you go. There you go. Well, because look LinkedIn at the groups. look at the audience too. Like now, it, it could be people who um, LinkedIn is a, a weird one. I'm not going to pretend like I know LinkedIn because LinkedIn is not where I spend my time. Um, I spend most of my time on Facebook because Facebook is where people go to waste time. And if they go there to waste time and you have something that is like, let's just say they're at their job and, and you have something that um, let's just say like photography, let's say you're into photography and that person's into photography and you are talking about a technique that you found that um, or that you created that um, where you take a picture in a certain way and it looks professional and it only takes uh, a second to edit. Like it's like a, a quick little uh, process there. And that person's into photography and they're on Facebook because they're just trying to get away from like the, what they have to do that day at their job. But they're into photography. They're going to pay attention to your post because it is, it, it's, a, it's aligned with what they're doing. Like LinkedIn, LinkedIn is an interesting um, beast because LinkedIn is kind of like Facebook. And you could argue that people are at their jobs and then they're kind of wasting time, but uh, like on LinkedIn, on any social media, but LinkedIn is, in my opinion, it's just, it's a little bit too, um, like everyone's trying, trying to rush and get attention. And there's only one newsfeed, same with Facebook, it's the same kind of thing but with Facebook. There's more leeway because on Facebook, again, if we're talking about hobby businesses, 
like people are going there to kind of like waste time. And so like they're doing things that are fun for them or things that are funny or interesting or entertaining. And so with, um, with Facebook, I think that you'd have more success and Facebook can act as your marketing tool. You can either start with your friends list, um, just getting people that you already are, that are inside your circle. Or another thing, a marketing tool technically is meeting other people who have their own list. So affiliates technically where you go and you offer a training or something like that. And it could be completely free, but you offer a training to their groups um, or, or their list. That's how, actually how I started. When I first started Rockstar Mind, I actually got a list of, um, when I created a video course, I just got a list of affiliates to go and promote it. They kept all the money from, from the course that they sold, my course. They kept all the money on the front end, which means like the first course that they sold, they keep all of that. And then now we have this relationship and I'm leveraging onto, I'm getting onto their list. So now I've got all these people coming into onto my email list that came from them. It's just like little referrals. And, and I gave them the money they're taken care of. But the, and now I've got all these people who are interested in guitar. So I just sell them more stuff, you know? So that, that's the, the marketing tool. If anything is just something to collect email addresses and be able to send out like a bulk email or like active campaign would be probably the one that I'd recommend. So one of the questions from the audience is, if someone collects code pins from corporate or unique pins from around the world, how does he convert this hobby into a business? Okay, and that's a great question because the like my specialty, um, if you have something where you're going to make, um, because there's so many different ways to turn a hobby into a business, but um, so for example, you can like do jewelry and sell it on Etsy or um, you can uh, sell stuff on Amazon. There's different things that you can do. My specialty and what Hobby Boss mainly focuses on is um, is coaching people, helping people achieve a result with their hobby. So I'm going to just get back to the pins in a second. But the reason why that's what I do is because I think that it's the fastest and easiest way to make money. And it also has the biggest profit margins. There's no overhead or anything like where you have with inventory, like I mentioned earlier. So if we're talking about um, some rare object or something that is um, a niche market um, like that, like what you could do is you can have um, a group where you um, you teach them how to find these things. Like, so you teach people how to find those, like where, where the opportunities are, where to, where to um, collect them. Now, that might not be a massive moneymaker in and of itself, but maybe those people are into other things as well. And you know what other things that they're into. And either you know how to do those other things, or you know someone who could help do those other things. And you make a 50-50 deal with them. They come in, you connect that person with your group to help them achieve that next thing. And um, and then that's it just rolls from there. So, so the thing itself, like if you know how to do something, you know where to find these these pins, or you know, um, like for some, how to make these things, um, you can teach people how to do the same thing. So that's really what what Hobby Boss is about is about helping people to um, to achieve a result with their with their hobby, and they have the same hobby as you do. So if it's hockey, or if it's um, you know photography, or knitting, or whatever it might be, you're helping people get better at that hobby or achieve something in that hobby. So with the pins, it would be what I would probably do is I would um, teach people um, to, to do the same thing, like to find the pins, let's just say um, where to find them, where to source them, how to get the best ones, how to sell them maybe. And then also um, find out what else they're interested in. And then either you teach them that as well, or you find someone who could teach them that and you promote that as an affiliate. Also, he might, he might um, develop a website where he takes on consignment or they post the pins and he markets himself as the pin center totally. of the world. And anybody wants to find any pin. And then those people just like kind of like an Amazon or an eBay, but he has the largest. And, and, and there you go. And you charge 12 bucks a month or you charge like 20 bucks a month for membership to like to this site that you know where like, you stay connected to it. And then all of a sudden you've got recurring revenue and these people have like their source for these pins. Yeah, I, I think we have a good idea there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But you can see how like just you can you can make money from this stuff. You just have to be a little bit more creative. That's all. A hundred percent. How do you figure out what to charge? Do you have a formula? So do you create like There's a no formula, but definitely don't be the cheapest. I recommend that you are the premium one. And the reason for premium is because you want to, you, you don't want them to, um, Okay, you want them to care. Those who pay, pay attention, okay? And so you have to offer them great value, but very often people will undercharge. They think that the price is gonna be the issue, okay? The, the price isn't the issue. If you, if you give your stuff away for free, people don't necessarily care about it, okay? If you charge a dollar, like they don't necessarily care about it. There's gotta be a little bit of like, 
Okay, uh, as um, as a really great entrepreneur, Alex Hormozzi says, there's got it's got to sting a little bit. The, the the payment has to sting a little bit because that gets people to pay attention. And um, so as far as pricing goes, if you want to look at what other people are charging, look at what other people are charging and charge a little more. Um, at the beginning, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you're going to try something and then it's going to work or it's not going to work and you're going to base your decision on that. I ended up as like the premium. I ended up as a premium because also I don't really like taking care of a lot of people. I don't like having a massive email list, a massive customer base. I like working with less people and and um, going deeper with less people. So to compensate, I charge more. And that also that gets me, it gets me what I want because I get the, the money to feed my kids and also gets them what they want. They get my attention to help them on the specific thing. So I always charge premium and I recommend that you do as well. I don't like volume. I don't like having to get a lot of people in the in the door. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I would say. That's the short answer is, is premium. Like always charge premium. Yeah, interesting. Because, you know, we talked about my consulting university, USA, and wanting to charge 2000 And yet people um, are balking at that, even though it's a 10-week course. And now I'm thinking about adding more things to it, like where they can talk to me anytime for the during the course of a year when they've got issues. So figuring out how to to make sure that I'm not giving them so much, I'm I'm basically making totally. And by the way, it doesn't have to be the, that's not like just like a university. There could be a one-on-one version of your program, and and you know what I mean. Like I would frame it like a university, a real university, and there'd be like a one-on-one version of it where they get a result, and then they're automatically sold on the, on buying the next thing. Right. And, um, and you probably wouldn't, that wouldn't be 2000. It might be 5,000, but it's, it's about how, like it's how it's framed. That's a little more advanced, but I hear what you're saying for sure. Like if, if you don't have the right person, then you could, it could go, go for free and they wouldn't want it because it's just not the right person. Right. Um, but you get the right person. You just got to make sure that you're focused on the right things. Like the result that that person wants, that's what they care about. And you, they know that you can help them get that faster than they can get it for themselves then yeah, that's, that's the decision they need to make. They need like this guy, what, what he has for me is more valuable than the money I have in my bank account. And then they, they um, give it to you. And that's the, that's the exchange. That's the trade, you know? My, my, my boss at Wharton used to say that you can always come down in price, but it's hard to come up in price. And he was like a pricing a, a expert. Um, what are the five market must-haves for your hobby business to have potential? And what's the minimum needed to test an yeah, idea? So, so the five market must-haves, that is from my friend and mentor, Ryan Levesque. Um, he's got a great book called Choose. It's um, a book about how to choose your market. And, um, and the five market must-haves uh, that he wrote were, it's got to be evergreen. So it can't be like a trend or something like that. So your market has to be evergreen. And a lot of hobbies are um, evergreen, but also a lot of hobbies can be, can be trends. Um, so it's got to be there for like for years. Like you, it's got to be a proven market in that sense. Um, and you can also see this by there are other competitors that are out there selling, which is good. That's a good thing because it means that they spent the money to know that there's actually a market there. Um, so the next one is there has to be enthusiasts. That's a given because um, in a hobby market, they're they're enthusiasts. They're already enthusiasts, so we know that. Um, also, they have to have uh, an urgent problem which means that there's something that they want to fix. Like for example, back to the knitting example, let's say their granddaughter's birthday is coming up in uh, in two months and it's a bit of an urgent problem because they don't know how to sew or knit, sorry, they don't know how to knit, and, but they'd love to be able to knit a sweater for their granddaughter. And so that's a bit of an urgent problem and they buy a course or they buy coaching to learn how to do that. Um, the fourth one is future problems. Well, now that you know how to knit sweaters, let's knit a whole outfit. Now, we don't want to just want the sweater. Let's knit the whole outfit. So there have to be other problems that you can solve, not just one problem. Okay, that's the fourth one. And then the fifth one is uh, players with money. That's Gary Halbert, a famous uh, marketer. Um, he talks about players with money. They have to have money in that market. Like, I'm not talking about like a crazy amount of money, but they have to be able to spend, you know, a hundred bucks on a course and not have to, you know, go to the bank for a loan or um, there's, they have to have some money in there. The more money that they have, the better, because you could charge for more premium solutions and, um, and everybody's happy with that. So those would be the five. So it would be just um, to recap evergreen. It's gotta be around for, for years. It's gotta be proven enthusiast. That's a given because we're talking about hobbies um, has to have an urgent problem. Um, there has to be future problems beyond that. And there's also uh, players with money. That's like a, those, those, are, uh, that's a fantastic market. If you could find that, that would be great. I, I added one more in the book called um, uh, Pro Caliber. That if 
if you can teach them how to make money from that hobby, like for example, if it was a cook, like if you teach someone how to cook and then you could help them get a job at a restaurant, that's even better. That would be amazing if it's a type of hobby that you can make money from. And technically every money, every hobby you can make money from, because technically you can just certify them and have them go out and, and do business um, like that. And actually like you can show them how to make money from your hobby by just doing what you do, like teach other people and just kind of replicate yourself. So yeah, that would be the sixth must have, I think. Well, no, sorry. That's more of an optional. It's not a must have, but that's just a nice to have. So the last question, we have 60 seconds to answer this. What do you think are the hot teaching opportunities that could yield six-figure income? What, what do I think are the hot teaching opportunities? Um, yeah. So, yeah. so music is big for sure. Um, I know that from firsthand. Um, uh, sports, I think, is good. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're doing anything financial, like if you're into stocks or anything like that, like for some people, the hobbyist is like it's stock trading, stuff like that. Um, crafts are huge. Photography is huge. Here's the secret. Look at the, um, the hobbies that require, um, a bit of like investment for the equipment to like in the hobby that the equipment could be expensive golf, huge. So anything like that, those are the ones that you want. I actually have a, a PDF. I could even link you to of what I think are the, the, the biggest ones. I think there's like 20 of them in there. So I could link you to that. Yeah. Send it to me and I'll get cool. it out to everybody. If you can for send sure. it to me today, cause I'll be sending everybody the video for sure. Steve, you were awesome. Uh, and I really enjoyed, and I'd love to have you come back sometime to talk more about this subject, because I think it's um, so important to people to pick up that side hustle to find something that they're excited about every day, because they might not like their jobs, like you mentioned, and also the portability of being able to go anywhere. That's why I've liked about the stuff I've done. I've been able to live anywhere and be able to do it. Everybody have a great weekend. And thank you again, Steve, for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.